situation where we needed to add accommodation, we have a range of tools. And we know from the things we did um, in the past that we have a number of um, options with respect to the maturity, for example, of our um, portfolio with respect to asset purchases or forward guidance uh, that remain available to us that are tools we could turn to in the unlikely event that we need to add accommodation. So negative rates is not something that we're actively considering. Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen wrapping up her news conference. This is our special report, The Fed Decides. I'm Scarlett Fu here along with Mike McKee and Tom Keene, live on Bloomberg Television and Radio. And gentlemen, um, Eric Chatsker pointed this out when Janet Yellen came out with her announcement the first time around, despite appears very prominently in this latest Fed statement. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, deciding not to move interest rates, not to move on interest rates, and taking its uh, forecast for the Fed funds target rate rising four times this year to two times, and that's despite a couple of things happening, right? You have uh, the global economy and financial developments. They cite that way up high. And also, you've got rising core inflation, as we learned today. It was very interesting that Jenny Yellen came out and said, yes, the Fed still believes that inflation is going to rise to its 2% target, but the inflation we are seeing today and recently may not be sustained. They seem to have adopted a view that they are not behind the curve, that they can run inflation a little bit hotter than normal, although she's denied that would be a specific plan, and that at this point they don't need to react to strength, in stronger, not strength, but a stronger U.S. economy. And the Fed is falling back on the idea that we are now globally data dependent. There are other regions of the world that are in trouble. European growth may be slower than people thought, and therefore it's prudent for us to wait instead of as they've always said, reacting only to what happens in the United States. Global economic and financial developments continue to pose risks. Against this backdrop, the committee judged it prudent to maintain the current policy stance at today's meeting. Now, of course, the Fed put out a new summary of economic projections that shows the economy growing a little bit more slowly, but unemployment still falling at the same rate and inflation rising at about the same rate. So it doesn't look like they have a lot of backup for their view that they need to wait, but certainly they are backing off. Mike, uh, Tom, what do you think? I, I thought it was fascinating. I think the ballet that's going on, I think the questions are getting more sophisticated as we go through a lot of different press conferences. but. Um, all in all, when you look at the forecast, when you look at the change in the inflation and employment and that, uh, it's important. I, I have immense challenges with a longer-run 2% statistic. We heard that from Richard Clarida earlier today. Right, right. Let's bring in Eric Schatzker, who asked the last question at the uh, Janet Yellen news conference. Eric, uh, you got some insight into what the committee thinks about negative interest rates, which is they're not actively looking into it or discussing it right now. No, and that shouldn't surprise us, Scarlett. What I wanted to know as much as anything else is what has the Fed learned by studying the European and Japanese experiment with negative interest rates? And you heard Janet Yellen say that in at least in her assessment, and I think she was speaking for the central bank, that the impact of negative rates, the effectiveness of negative rates has been mixed. That was the word that uh, the term that she used to describe uh, what she has observed. 
Now, she said there have been some positive impacts, some negative impacts. Quite honestly, I wish she'd gone into a little more detail. It would have been fascinating to hear Janet Yellen dissect the effectiveness of negative interest rates in, in the Eurozone economy. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, it shouldn't surprise anybody that the Fed isn't actively considering negative interest rates, as you've seen from the dots. Every single member of the FOMC, you know, regardless of the fact that they have scaled back their expectations, does expect, does anticipate that interest rates will rise by at least half a point by the end of this year. Right. Two uh, rate increases this year, if you count them as 25 basis points. What's interesting in this negative rate discussion is uh, uh, Narayana Katralakota, the former Minneapolis Fed president, who is no longer on the Fed committee right now, had written on Bloomberg View that perhaps the Federal Reserve should uh, preemptively discuss things like negative rates. He says if the Fed can convince people that it is willing and able to take rates into negative territory, it might actually be able yeah. to raise rates faster and higher. Mike, that's and an outlier view. Well, you're not going to convince anybody with what Janet Yellen said today. So it looks exactly. like essentially she's taking it off the table by saying they don't work at this point. But uh, the other point she made is we're not anywhere close to needing to worry right. about it. Well, I thought it was great, Eric. Uh, congratulations on a terrific question to end the press conference. And our Kyle Riccadonna makes very clear Yellen's comments on negative interest rates were very important. We need to get perspective from someone who works within the interest rate uh, milieu. Uh, Janice Capital uh, Management's Bill Gross joins us now from Newport Beach. Bill, I got like eight ways to go here. But I think it was exceptionally important what Chair Yellen said to Mr. Schatzker, the idea that we're not going to do negative rates, and she's really questioning now, do they work? What have we learned about negative interest rates in the last four weeks? Well, we've learned a lot of things uh, from other uh, countries over the last several years. Uh, over the last four weeks, the, you know, the dialogue has, has increased, and I, I think the the markets and the central bankers globally are beginning to be aware that there are negative aspects to negative interest rates. Um, you know, Cherry Yellen cited the experience in Japan, and obviously the negative or zero interest rates for a long, long time have not done much to stimulate inflation or to stimulate economic growth. The same thing right. in Euroland for a shorter period of time. And so um, I, I think some of the members of the Fed are beginning to sense that uh, negative interest rates and the lower and lower you go, the old Fed model is not necessarily effective when you get to zero or below. Bill, does today's meeting, does today's press conference, does it amend your portfolio? Will you make immediate changes? Yeah, I, I think to some extent. Obviously, it's a, it's a more dovish Fed. Uh, it seems to me that uh, Stan Fisher has been um, o overruled to some extent by Cherry Yellen in terms of the, the, the forward policy. The dots have come down. I, I still think, though, Tom, it's interesting that the market, in terms of forward expectations for LIBOR and for Fed funds, only anticipates uh, 30 to 40 basis points a year for the next several years. The Fed still is looking at 100. So the Fed is still uh, way above uh, the market. And to the extent that the market is lower, then uh, to a certain extent, uh, treasuries are fully priced at these levels. 
And of course, the Fed sounded very dovish in today's statement, even as the fundamentals improve. If you were to look at the Atlanta Fed GDP Now tracker, Mike McKee, what you would see is that the lifetime track of the domestic economy shows sub 2% growth right now, which is pretty much where it was at the December FOMC meeting. That's that green circle there. Certainly an improvement from January 27th when the Fed uh, had its non-live meeting, I guess you could say, without the news conference. But it's interesting that the economy overall, views of it has improved and the Fed has actually turned more dovish. Now, Bill, I'm looking at the, uh, the dots plot on the Bloomberg terminal, and you can see the December dots plot and the OIS curve below that. And the big argument was the Fed was out of step with the markets. Then let's go ahead now to the current dot plot and the OIS curve. They're chasing their tail. OIS has gone way down because everybody's selling out of treasuries now. Uh, is the Fed uh, at all connected to what is going on in your world? Well, I think to some extent, I mean, they're connected to the stock market. Uh, you know, the old Bernanke uh, uh, put, uh, so to speak, perhaps the Yellen put is still in effect. If the stock market went down by, you know, 5 or 10 percent tomorrow, then, yeah, the, the, the Fed would respond. Uh, but I don't think they're fully responsive to uh, the effects of interest rates at the zero bound or, or interest rates in negative territory. And um, the effects are as such that uh, they affect pension funds, they affect insurance companies, they affect bank uh, net interest margins. You know, basically finance companies today in terms of the market are doing very poorly because they now sense that interest rates will go up uh, less fast than uh, they had previously. So it's a, it's a negative for the finance industry, for pensions, and for savers uh, going forward. They can't earn as much right. as they should. Post-crust conference, like the Bill Gross, Mike, is pushing the dollar lower, gross is single-handedly <laughs> pushing the dollar down to new weakness and also gross equity markets up 113. Well, Bill, you went where I wanted to go, and I should point out, dots go on the Bloomberg terminal. For those of you who have it, you can see all of this, and I set it out on the Radio Plus app for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, the Fed at this point, did, well, Janet Yellen, did not talk about the impact of what they're doing, keeping rates low for longer on financial markets. You've told us in the past, though, that you think there is a distortion to the markets. Is this not a danger? You're talking about pension funds and others who have long-term obligations. Are we at risk of screwing things up uh, if they continue this for, so, uh, for, for an extended period? Well, I think to a certain extent capitalism is at risk. I mean, capitalism depends upon a spread uh, b between a borrowing fund and, 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 and risk uh, out on the maturity spectrum. And to the extent that that's very narrow, to the extent that savers can't earn anything on their money, then capitalism d doesn't break down. But at the margin, it's, it's hindered and hampered. And that's what we're seeing, I think, over the past uh, several years in terms of economic growth. I don't think the Fed really has a sense. Um, uh, that the negative interest rates really have a negative implication. They're, they're, they're looking to stimulate the economy via market prices, via asset prices, and have it flow down via a wealth effect, you know, to the rest of the real economy. Um, I, I don't think that's happening to the extent that they think it's happening. And so uh, because of that, what you cited and what I cited five minutes ago in terms of pension funds and insurance companies, the long-term effect basically hampers investment and hampers institutions with long-term liabilities that makes them less credit-worthy. And, you know, Tom and Mike, as we look through the commentary out of uh, the sell-side analysis of the... This Yellen's dealing with this, and I dare say Bill Gross internationally has to deal with this. Explain to our audience 
what this divergence means for their yield future. Well, it has an important effect, uh, an influencing effect on on the U.S. market and other markets to the extent that there's a 150 basis point spread between the German 10-year and the U.S. 10-year, and I haven't seen your chart, but I think that's about the spread. Yeah. Um, then to, to a number of global investors, that's an attraction. Um, you know, if the U.S. dollar holds its level, and it's not today, but if it holds its level relative to the euro, then 150 basis points for equal credit is a pretty decent spread. And so, yes, um, your point is, is well taken here, Tom, that to the extent that the ECB is buying $80 billion worth of uh, yeah. bonds a, a month, not German bonds, but $80 billion in the, you know, in the euro complex, then that's going to affect treasuries and hold treasuries at artificial levels as well. Right. Bill, I've got to ask one more question. It's off script on the Fed, but it's a, of, of national importance and Canadian importance as well. I, I guess I'll be rude and ask you if you own Valiant Paper. It's been a bloodbath the last <laughs> few days. But seriously, Bill Gross, when, when we look at the confidence lost with the collapse of a valiant, you and I have seen this before. What does that signal in terms of bond confidence across the corporate space? Well, it, it's suggestive of, of leverage. And, the uh, you know, back in my day, Tom, when I, when I studied at uh, Anderson uh, Graduate School in 1970-71, there were uh, companies called con conglomerates in which they used leverage to buy companies and yeah. increase their earnings per share uh, based upon the difference in P.E. ratios. That's, to a certain extent, what's happened here. In addition, you know, they're in the pharmaceutical market where pricing of uh, products is subject to political problems at the moment and certainly going forward. And so that combination has, has been deadly for the price of that stock going forward. And, and by the way, uh, we have a separate account that had those bonds uh, when we uh, brought the account in about uh, 12 months ago and we, we sold the bonds the, the first day that the problems arrived. And that's about three months ago. Well, thank you so much, Bill Gross. Thank you for that clarity on Valiant, and particular clarity on what we saw today from Chair Yellen. Scarlett? All right, let's bring back our own Eric Schatzker, who's been in Washington, D.C., attending the news conference hosted by Fed Chair Janet Yellen. Eric, give us your final thoughts uh, as we wrap up our Fed special. Well, uh, I want to talk about inflation for just a moment, and then I want to talk about these global risks that the Fed uh, pointed to. And the reason is that you and Bill were talking about inflation. There was a lot of concern in the room among the reporters there who were asking questions of Janet Yellen about inflation, and specifically what they seem to perceive as a disconnect between uh, the figures that show accelerating inflation, whether we're measuring it by the PCE, the Fed's preferred uh, measure or gauge, if you prefer, uh, or uh, by core CPI, both of which have surprised to the upside, core CPI just a little bit, uh, the PCE quite dramatically as of late. Uh, and Yellen had a lot to say about inflation. She said that the committee looks through oil prices, that $50 oil would maybe move the path for core CPI up slightly, but with no real policy significance. She said that there may be some transitory factors involved in the, in the recent acceleration of inflation. And she hasn't noticed any lasting uptick in core inflation. She says that inflation expectations remain reasonably well anchored. Those are her terms. So we heard a lot about inflation. What we didn't hear a lot about, notwithstanding the fact that there were at 
two, maybe three questions on the subject, including from our colleague Chris Condon, were these global risks. When asked specifically what were the global risks that the Fed perceives as, uh, I guess, presenting a downside to the U.S. economy, she talked about the IMF cutting its global growth projection. She talked about no great surprise in Chinese growth. The Fed expected it to slow down. Uh, a surprisingly negative GDP print in Japan in the fourth quarter and weaker growth indicated by data in the Eurozone. But again, no real depth on that and no real discussion of the financial factors that the Fed explicitly right. referred to. And Chris Condon pressed her on FX rates, for example, and whether the, the transmission, or at least if, if foreign exchange is a transmission mechanism between various monetary policies, whether that constrains the Fed because the weakening or at least the accommodation in Europe and Japan strengthens the dollar. And all she really had to say on that front was no, Scarlett. A simple no. All right. Eric Schatzker, thank you so much for doing yeoman's duty over at the Fed. We want to now bring in Tom Purcelli. He's the chief U.S. economist at RBC Capital Markets, and he joins us now from the RBC trading floor. So, Tom, um, yeah. two Fed rate hikes is now what is being uh, implied in the Fed dot plot. Is this uh, realistic? Do you see this as happening, or is this still an aspiration, according to Richard Clarida, who had seen the four, dots, uh, the four rate hikes priced into dot plots as an aspiration? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's in a lot of ways we're, we're guided by them. Um, if they're telling us that they want to go twice this year, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to change my forecast to twice this year. Uh, I think that they should have gone four times this year. I think that the economic data lend itself to the Fed going four times this year. But as Yellen uh, highlighted it, if she's, going to be continue, if she's going to be continuously worried about what's going on in China and Japan and Europe, uh, and if, uh, you know, spread widening is something that she's concerned about, all four things she's quite specifically mentioned as a reason for expecting a lower path, then I think you actually have to wonder, well, are they even going to be able to go two times this year? Because a lot of these global issues that we're dealing with, we really don't see going away in, in any material way. So if they're going to continue to be spooked by these things, uh, then, then, yeah, then m maybe two is actually too high. For the time being, we'll stick with it. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a massive question mark at this point. Going inside the terminal, uh, looking at both the CPI core and PCE core, they yep. are uh, the two measures of inflation the Fed is looking at. The Fed likes to yep. look at PCE, which is the white line runs a, a few tenths lower. But you can see both are rising significantly recently. Yeah. She seemed to dismiss that as an issue. So let me give you a couple of things to think about. If you, if you get gains of 0.15% month on month in core PCE, you will be at 2% year on year by October, right? Just for people who don't know, 0.15% gains monthly uh, is actually a pretty low hurdle. So you are going to see continued increases in inflation. And this is something we've been sort of pounding the table on. And I would actually uh, um, take issue with one thing that she said in particular, that it's been the volatile components of inflation that have actually been doing most of the driving. Th th this is actually untrue. Um, just look at the Atlanta Fed's sticky measure of inflation. That might sound sort of like very wonkish for a lot of people. Take a look at their website. It's the sticky measures of inflation that are actually doing all of the driving right now. So I, I, I think that whole idea, that, that, that narrative that she was trying to push is, is a dubious one at best, just given the facts that are in front of us right now. Right. Uh, Tom Purcelli, we featured earlier Robert Gordon's optimism, he of Northwestern, on labor participation legging up here. It reminded yep. me of your wonderful work on wage inflation 18 months ago or so. Benjamin Applebaum of the New York Times brought this up at the press 
press conference on Slack. What's the level of Slack out there? And is this a Fed that's going to have to catch up because the Slack will disappear? It's, it's hard to make the case that there's any material slack in the backdrop. Uh, I mean, you have to think about this practically for a second. Okay, we can have the conversation about the, uh, you know, the, the people sitting on the sidelines, and I think that's a fair question, uh, and I think it's something that probably needs to be addressed from a, uh, uh, you know, sort of a D.C. perspective. But when you think of it from a practical perspective, what companies are actually doing in terms of hiring, they're raising pay because there's not enough qualified workers. I mean, think about that practically. Um, uh, you know, th there's a reason why you're actually seeing increases in wages. And let me be very, very clear. Um, I I'm not making the case for a sort of rampant wage gains, Tom. As you know, you and I have been talking about this for a really long time. We've been making the case for modest increases in wages, and we're already seeing it. And part of the reason is because there's a lack of qualified workers. There's a dearth of qualified workers, and that's why you're seeing these wage gains. So, but, but again, it's, it's funny. Like, sure, we had a good call on that. But, f but, but to what end? It doesn't matter, right? I mean, this is not something that's resonating within the Fed. Hmm. Good point. Tom Purcelli, we really appreciate your time and uh, your analysis yeah, of the, the Fed chair's comments. The chief U.S. economist for RBC Capital Markets, Tom Purcelli, joining us from his office in New York. So uh, what I thought was interesting in the commentary on inflation was Janet Yellen, of course, concerned about the energy uh, price drop, calling that transitory on the way down. It's also transitory on the way up. What we don't know is what's going to cause them to raise rates now. She's taken a lot of the measuring sticks off the table. The Fed Fund's futures function now shows no move until September. September. What is it that's going to lead them to move? And remind us, before the press conference. It was over 50% for June. We have something to talk about tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'll, you think? Sure. I'll see you early, if <laughs> not right. <laughs> this is, it, I, seriously, folks, it's never boring, folks. That is it for our Fed coverage. The Fed decides on Bloomberg Television and Radio. Welcome to our special edition of Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio today. Coverage of the Fed's decision to pull back on the interest rate accelerator. I'm Kathleen Hayes. And I'm Pim Fox. We'll be talking about Fed Chair Janet Yellen. She said that caution is appropriate. This was during her news conference that followed the meeting. She summed up her approach uh, in handling what is described as a vulnerable economy and a central bank that doesn't seem to have too many tools left uh, if there are any new threats in order to derail the expansion in the United States. Very important. The Federal Reserve had signaled him at the end of 2015 that there would be probably about four interest rate increases this year. They made the first increase since 2006 in December, 25 basis points. Well, today, the dot plot, the Fed's sort of casual look at where they think they're going, shows only two interest rate increases. This has weakened the dollar. That's having a big impact on commodity prices and commodity producing companies like Freeport MacMoran. And we're going to be talking to the former president of the Minneapolis Fed, Gary Stern, to get his expert view on what this all means. Also, we'll be speaking about commodities with Frank Holmes. He is the chief executive and the chief investment officer of U.S. Global Investors. And also on bonds and the reaction in the bond market, we've got Cliff Noreen. He is the president of Babson Capital Management. He helps to manage $223 billion. So we're going to find out what the